Everyone faces challenges every single day. Some are chosen and bring us joy. Some are given to us and bring struggle or pain. Whether the diagnosis of an illness, the news of a friend's death, the loss of a job, or a bike accident, we may be asked to step up to face issues that demand courage and perseverance. Hurt is just one of the many aspects of full lives. Each week on this show, ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope, Dr. Joanne Dahl helps us understand how we can use acceptance and commitment therapy to learn to accept what we cannot change and move forward into a valued life. Now, here's your host, Dr. Joanne Dahl. Welcome to ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope. Today we're going to talk about something that we probably all do to ourselves and others on a daily basis, and something which is more harmful psychologically than you might think, something called stigma. Stigma is defined as the dehumanization of an individual based on a social identity or participation in a negative or undesirable social category. So commonly we might call ourselves or others as idiots or fatsos or we might call someone a slush or a whore or a gangster. A person who is stigmatized is devalued and seen as seriously flawed. The experience of being stigmatized over and over can have serious consequences. But the one thing you may not have thought of that happens is something that uh, that might is even more serious, and that's the internalization of the stigma. This means that, for example, if you have been called fat and lazy a number of times, you may start to believe it yourself that you're fat and lazy. You may talk about yourself in the way and spread your own stigmatization. So experiences of stigma whether you hear it from others or whether you do it yourself, may have serious behavior health problems or problems getting a job. It's also related to poor self-esteem and lower quality of life. So today, we're going to have a discussion about how ACT has been used successfully to help people work with their own stigma, both towards themselves and then subsequently towards others. This is a process that might be called self-acceptance or to use a more trendy word in psychology today, self-compassion. Our guest today is Dr. Stephen Hayes. Steve is a Nevada Foundation professor at the Department of Psychology at the University of Nevada in Reno. He is known for an analysis of human language and cognition called relational frame theory and its applications to various psychological difficulties, especially with acceptance and commitment therapy. Steve is the author of more than 30 books and 500 scientific articles, and among others, a very popular book called Get Out of Your Mind and Into Your Life. You can read more about Steve, his books, and articles on his homepage by clicking his name on this week's episode of ACT. Taking Hurt to Hope on webtalkradio.net. You can also read more about ACT and relational frame theory by clicking on Association for Contextual Behavior Science, also on this episode. Welcome, Steve. 
Uh, it's good to be with you again, Joanne. Steve, so you're interested in stigma. Do you have any personal experience of stigma, being yourself stigmatized, or any of your children stigmatized? I do, but I think we all do. Uh, this process of being on the short end of stigmatizing uh, categories, enacted stigma towards us, and of internalizing that and applying it to ourselves, and perhaps, you know, one that's most difficult, finding that we ourselves stigmatize others. All of those processes, I think, are in all our lives. It was in my house growing up in a way that was hard for me initially to understand. My mother, I tell the story, used to get up and spit on the screen if she saw uh, war movies with uh, Adolf Hitler on it. And it wasn't until I was a teenager mm -hmm. that I discovered that her name was actually not uh, Ruth Eileen. It was Ruth Esther she was Jewish by the maternal line, had been told by her father that she had tainted blood. Mm -hmm. And had, had such things happen to her as literally have a, uh, a person she was about to, to marry walk away with a, nothing but a call from his mother saying for her to stay away because she was Jewish. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have an African-American daughter, and then um, I can you know picture as I sit here right now a painful moment when she's only... A two years old and being thrown out of a, a pool that was owned by a, a neighborhood uh, kind of society uh, uh, and therefore was private in Virginia that uh, I needed to leave because my baby was brown. Mm. In through all through experiences like that in one form or another, and, and we've seen them, but I think that that last piece of finding in yourself. Uh, the tendency to, to do the same thing to yourself, mm. even to others. I mean, I can remember uh, as a person who's about to turn 65, as a person who believes in gay rights, the initial shock of the idea of gay marriage or the initial shock of seeing uh, two men kissing. Mm. I find within myself, despite the fact that I've got an African-American daughter, all the black stereotypes. Mm-hmm. And if a person were to walk into a room where I was who weighed 400 pounds, it, it would be less than a second before judgmental thoughts would be occurring within me. So, and I don't think that I'm usual. In fact, in fact, I know I'm not unusual. I think this is a universal process and one that really is a challenge for us in our lives to step up to how do we carry our judgmental histories uh, and how do we carry judgment applied to ourselves in a way that's lighter and that allows us to move towards what we really care about rather than merely what our judgmental uh, culture and the categories that are inside that culture tell us we should think about our others and about ourselves. That, that's what I want to ask you, Steve. Um, so what you're saying is that that we stereotype ourselves and others is something that we all do. And even if we don't, we know better, and we know we don't want, we don't want to have those viewpoints. We still have them. Um, uh, why do you think this happens? What? Why do it's, we do this? It you know it's based in two things. I think really that uh, are both our strengths and our weaknesses. It's built into human language itself. Just the property of categorizing and judging is so critical to problem solving and to our the useful benefits of human language and cognition, but it's so easily 
applies to features not just of the cars we drive or the furniture that we buy, but of the people that we're with and even ourselves. So that's one piece. And there's another piece, which is we are an incredibly social primate. And the way that prosociality evolves is through this process of between group competition and within group support. Mm -hmm. That's true whether or not you're a bee or a human being. And uh, we are now into a place in which we cannot afford, we cannot allow the kind of tribal, uh, you know, us versus them uh, mode of thinking that is uh, a strength for us. It's uh, where a lot of our tendency towards compassion and cooperation came from. But we now need to rethink and reform uh, what the group is. It's no longer just our little band or our little um, group or family or or neighborhood. We really need to be thinking in categories as large as humanity itself. And that's a a kind of evolutionary transition that's very difficult for us to make. Mm -hmm. But but Steve, what about stigmatizing ourselves? What? What would be the uh, point of that? But what would be a person? What would be the function of doing that? I think we do it, and for a couple of reasons. But one is this kind of this us versus them thing is linked to positive social uh, values um, of cooperation within the group. But uh, the other thing, because it's built into human language itself. And judgment is so critical to the, many of the positive benefits of language. And our culture is becoming hyperverbal over time with more and more access to words and images through science and technology. That, that combination of things is setting it up so that it appears as though what we get out of it is that when we judge ourselves and try to push ourselves through harsh judgment, that we'll get more positive behaviors as a result, Mm -hmm. threaten ourselves with blame and shame that we're going to somehow step forward and we're going to be better at studying, we're going to be better at achieving, we're going to be better at losing weight, we're going to think more positive things about ourselves. The reason that doesn't work is that if stigma is built into language and linked to judgment and also linked to this us versus them piece that's inside our uh, eusocial species, uh, as we enter into this judgmental mode of mind, it actually gets sticker, stickier. And so we have this paradox that inside the modern media culture is a lot more exposure to judgmental words, to shame and blame, on the one hand. And on the other hand, the solution that's provided inside that media stream is that we have to think the right thoughts and not the wrong thoughts that we have to be who we imagine ourselves to be and not who we experience ourselves to be. So, for example, if you were to um, express a racially uh, prejudiced uh, idea and you are a modern media figure, you might be fired immediately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's possible. But what it doesn't account for is whether you're black or white, gay or straight, Muslim or Christian, or atheist, pick you know, pick the dimension, whether you're skinny or thin, you carry within you all of the categories that your culture has put it put within you. And so what it's doing is it's actually making it harder because of how 
politically incorrect it is for us to talk about how hard it is to carry judgment. It's become a hard, not easier to back out of judgment. We're trying to use judgment to solve the problem of judgment, and we're just being quiet and secretly feeling ashamed of ourselves for all of the judgmental thoughts that are happening within. And we try to make that work with ourselves and find that it doesn't work and we feel there's something wrong with us, that we can't lose weight, we can't find peace of mind, we can't find a way to you know, reach out and love others without a fear of rejection and so forth. And all of those things are built in. Hmm. Yeah, th- this, that's a, something that I wanted to ask you. My feeling as a psychologist, um, I've been working you know, my whole adult life, 35 years, and it seems like that most psychological problems have this root of self-stigma. It's um, Anyone, for example, who has dieted knows that the, the most common motivation to sentence yourself to an extreme restrictive diet begins with some, some sort of self-disgust. And I think that most people base behavior change on this type of self-hatred. And, and we know that this doesn't work. It, we know, at least from the research on obesity, that behavior change that's based on this type of self-disgust doesn't last and makes you feel worse. So it, it seems like this is a, a core that feeds into all psychological problems. It's like saying, I am flawed, and that makes fertile ground for self-stigma. What do you think about that? No, I think you're exactly right, and there's really neat research that that shows this the problem is is that all the people listening to this um, show right now uh, are channeling it in through the very same process that is creating this problem and so if you were to take for example the usual mindy solution to what you just said you'd start critting criticizing and judging yourself for being so uh, self-judgmental mm-hmm. because that's the way the mind works which is just another round of the same thing. So the only way that we're going to back out and and sort of decrease this process is through processes like acceptance, mindfulness, perspective taking values, some of these psychological flexibility processes that allow us to back out of and kind of watch this process rather than to solve the process by more of the same. A study, you mentioned weight, and it's a very interesting one. I think most people would be surprised at these data where we took people who were obese and who had uh, were actively involved in a weight control effort. On average, they had been in nearly seven organized weight control prog- pro- uh, programs in their life. And what we did is we did a, a, about a six-hour intervention in a workshop format that was not oriented towards weight at all. What it was oriented towards was learning how to back out of self-stigma, self-judgment, and shame, and to watch it the more the way that you might, you know, watch a cloud going by in the sky. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, watch an anthill or uh, water flowing down a stream with curiosity, with interest, and without entanglement. Mm-hmm. And what that did very quickly is reduce people's entanglement with self-stigma. I'm a fat. So I'm lazy. All those categories that people, if you give them time to think about it, will say, no, no, I don't really believe that. But they actually are entangled with those very same thoughts and sometimes using them to try to make themselves adhere to unhealthy diets that will somehow lose the weight so that they'll somehow feel better about themselves. And it never happens. It goes in the opposite direction. What we found is that when we did this, 
even though our purpose was not to reduce weight, our purpose was to increase the person's uh, psychological flexibility and their sense of wholeness and psychological health. Mm-hmm. Yes, we got those outcomes, but we also got greater weight loss. <laughs> the point at which the wagging finger stops wagging and you come into your body, come into your present moment, connect with your values, you're now doing something that can actually help solve some of the health-related issues, for example, around obesity. It's probably not a good idea. It's not as bad as people say, but it's not a good idea health-wise to be carrying a whole lot of excess pounds. But you are not going to solve that problem by beating yourself about the head and ears as if you're a person to be whipped. People immediately, when they feel badly about themselves, they start expressing in the form of their own behavior uh, more of that. And you disempower yourself when you judge yourself in this harsh and dehumanized way that's part of the self-stigma process. Yeah. So th- you mentioned th- just that particular study. How about other studies? Like I know that you did a study for uh, counseling for persons with substance abuse with multicultural backgrounds. What was that? Well, this was an interesting one. We figured if we're going to do this, if we're going to walk into stigma and see what we can do about stigmatizing uh, attitudes and self-stigma, we as counselors should probably start with our own judgment. And one uh, place we started, since I do a lot of substance abuse treatment work, is with counselors. Because even if people are in recovery themselves and a counselor, they've got a heart population they're working with, it's very easy to become judgmental of people who have chronic substance abuse and are doing things that are destructive to themselves and to their families. And so we showed that indeed uh, your your stigmatizing attitudes towards recipients of care as a substance abuse counselor was related to burnout and was related to negative mental health outcomes for you yourself. Mm Mm-hmm. These people will never change. I, you know, there's no way I can change them. There's something wrong with them, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And uh, even these are people who know better because because they've been in recovery themselves. But language is not easily solved. Uh, these language problems that way. What we taught was the acceptance, mindfulness, and value solution. Mm-hmm. And over time, as the stigmatizing judgments went down. But then so, too, did the burnout go down and mental health went up. So it applies to counselors as well as to clients. It applies to us all. And that's what that study said, that we can't stand aside and just wag our fingers at people who are oh so self-stigmatizing or stigmatizing of others. We're all in the same soup, and that includes the counselors. Okay, so so this brings me to um, my last question. Um, if You're saying that if... Um, if we were use of this trendy word self-compassion, uh, and which would be a, a sort of a, a self-acceptance or helping you using act on yourself with acceptance and values, um, would this be the opposite to self-stigma? Actually, I think it's pretty close to the opposite to self-stigma if you can actually take a fully open and self-compassionate stance. The Things that are inside act of acceptance, of learning to watch your thoughts as they unfold, of being able to shift your attention into the present moment flexibly and connect with your values are all elements of self-compassion. But there's another piece, which is seeing our common humanity. And that comes out of the shared consciousness that we have. 
that I see you as a conscious person or experiencing it and suffering, and I as a conscious person am experiencing and I'm suffering. And what we can do, I think, with what we're trying to do in the act work is connect up with a part of us that knows how to walk out of self-stigma and in doing that, learn how to walk out of the judgment of others. Not because you don't have those judgments, you will. Not because you don't have that history, you do. You live in a culture and you're dealing with a process that inherently contains the capacity for stigma and self-stigma. But because you've learned to put it on a leash and not take it so seriously, and to be to shift your attention towards what you deeply care about. If you do that with yourself in this open and accepting way and learn to do that with others in that way, that's a process that really can transform the world and that can help us move from this uh, tribal kind of mode of we're okay, but those folks out there, we're going to have a war into a place in which if you're a human being, you belong here. All the human beings on the planet have a stake in the health and the happiness of us all. Mm. That's that's a nice ending, Steve. Thank you for being on our program today. It was great to be here with you again. And congratulations on what's happening with your show. I'm, I know that it's changing lives of people around the world, and I'm, I'm proud to have been a little tiny piece of <laughs> You're a big piece. You've been listening to Dr. Stephen Hayes. Steve is a Nevada Foundation professor at the Department of Psychology at the University of Nevada in Reno. Steve is known for his analysis of human language and cognition, which is called relational frame theory, and its application uh, on acceptance and commitment therapy. Steve is an author of many books and scientific articles, and one particular book I think you enjoy is called Get Out of Your Mind and Into Your Life. Read more about Steve and his books and articles by clicking on his homepage, by clicking on his name on this week's episode of Act Taking Her to Hope on webtalkradio.net. Today we've been talking about how ACT can be used to approach stigma which is a dehumanizing process of stereotyping others and yourself in ways which are harmful. Steve has helped us understand that we all have this tendency to simplify and categorize ourselves and others. It's a product of human language. When stigma leads to rigid identification of roles that pulls us away from our human values and results in avoidance of valued living, or engagement in harmful behavior, we will face serious consequences. So ACT helps us to take a satellite perspective and see this type of categorization as simply a product of language that we have little control over, but we do have complete control over our behavior. In short, this means that you're not responsible for your stigmatizing thoughts, but you are responsible for how you choose to act on them. Thank you for joining us today. For more information about Joanne, please see her website at joannedahl.com or click on the host website button in front of you on the webtalkradio.net page. You may also see her books, The Art of Science of Valuing in Psychotherapy. 
living beyond pain using acceptance and commitment therapy to ease chronic pain. Acceptance and commitment therapy for chronic pain, values in action, and epilepsy, a behavior medicine approach to assessment and treatment in children. All of these are found easily by clicking the cover or going to Amazon.com. We hope you'll join us again soon for another episode of ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope.